What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish-goom-bahs tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step step through a unique, never-before-tested formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery, of not knowing who's reading your books, of losing 50 to 70% of the hard-earned money you make through book sales, Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readerships. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. My guest on today's episode is Alana Terry. She is selling a ton of paperbacks, ebooks, audiobooks, and she's doing it directly from her own store as well as on Amazon. That's what blows me away about how successful Alana has been. She's selling books everywhere she goes. She looks right, she's selling books. She looks left, she's selling books. She looks up, she's selling books. She looks down, she's selling books. She looks southwest and south, north and northeast and everywhere, and there's just books flying off the metaphorical shelf. You should listen in and see what she's doing. Christian thrillers, folks. I haven't read a Christian thriller in my life, and if I'm going to be honest, I don't plan to. But I know that what she's doing is working really well because anybody who is reading Christian thrillers is reading Alana Terry. That's kind of cool. I do want to note that this is two episodes in a row that have uh, the word religious or Christian in them. And so I just wanted to remind you, I am spiritual, but I'm not ascribed to any religious tradition. And I want to let you know that because that's just true. I'm not trying to, you know, appeal to more people. That's where I'm at in my life. I think that there's some amazing things in spiritual teachings, and I hope that you do too. I grew up Christian. I still have a sense of that culture in me. But really, no matter who you are, please listen to this because honestly, the beginning of this episode, she didn't even tell me that she was religious. I think secretly, a lot of us feel the same way, which is we would rather connect with each other and have an amazing experience sharing the journey than trying to be divisive. And that's really what we're all here for. So please enjoy my conversation with Alana Terry. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. 
There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. What got you into writing? Why why did you get the writing bug? I think I had it from a very, very early age. Like some of my earliest memories are before I could even read, I would dictate stories to my dad and he would type them out wow. for me. Wow. So my mom liked to write. My grandma liked to write. I think in a lot of ways it was kind of in the blood. My dad was real supportive. Hmm. So that had always sort of been the plan and the dream. And then I finished college. I got a little sidetracked on a pre-med track for a bit, but never got too far down that road. And I had kids, needed some type of creative outlet, got back to writing. And that's sort of what's been my basically adult life since. (laughs) Okay. So you and I have a couple of shared commonalities in that. Maybe not the same reasons, because I started into my ASN and tending at my BSN thinking the life of a person in the medical field is ideally suited for a writer because you can uh, work three 12 hour shifts, mm, make enough right. to support a family or yourself yeah. or whatever it might be. And then you have four days to really get into your writing and mm-hmm. kind of build that career. And that was my thought process at that time. Uh, I got partway through and realized that medicine wasn't interesting to me. Um, (laughs) Uh I wasn't disgusted by it. I was actually bored. I was working my nursing home rotations. And I thought if I have to do this on a regular basis, I may die of boredom. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) What was your reason for moving away from medical? Because that is a really lucrative career, not as lucrative as being in ammo. But (laughs) right, right. (laughs) Well, I think so. Like I said, my my parents were very supportive of the writing to a point. And then by the time, like when I was ninth, 10th grade, still talking about wanting to be a full time writer, they were kind of like, maybe you should find, you know, a fallback option. Um, So it was right. It it was a lot of family pressure. I was pretty academically driven. So I'm like, okay, what does somebody who's academically driven with good grades do? They go to med school. So I guess that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, So I got my degree in biology in undergrad. I took the MCATs. I was basically a click of the button away from applying to med school when I realized like I I haven't wanted Don't to do this like any years. This has never been the wow. actual <laughs> dream wow, and wow, plan. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was that like with you and your parents? Then I imagine there was some friction. There was some friction. The funny story now that we can laugh about is I got the MCAT score. I think it, this would have been early 2000s. I don't think it came in the mail. I think it actually was like they, I think they mailed you a login. <laughs> So you get a letter in the mail. It doesn't give you your score, but it gives you like a website to go and find your score. So I've got one parent looking over my left shoulder, one parent looking over my right shoulder. We're going to go look at my MCAT scores. My science scores were okay. It wasn't going to get me into like the very, very, very top schools, but I would have gotten in somewhere. Uh, But my writing score, because the MCAT does have a writing (laughs) question, it was was as high (laughs) as you can get. And so my mom throws up her hand. She says, she's going to be an author. And I think like the tone was exasperation, but it kind of turned into, you know, the foretelling. (laughs) Yeah, 
Absolutely. I love that. I love that so much. I had a similar experience. I never obviously took the MCAT because I was only doing kind of like mm-hmm. nursing. You don't have to take that to do nursing. But when I went to grad school, you have to take the G, uh, GRE. And uh-huh. uh, it was the same thing for me, like math, yeah. science. They were okay because <laughs> I actually do enjoy those subjects, but my writing was just off the charts. And mm-hmm. I looked at that as really affirmation of what yeah. I was hearing here on this planet to do. I'm curious um, with what you're talking about and thinking about medical and the practicality of being a doctor versus being a writer. Is there any element to your life that is, if not spiritual, just sort of in the same vein of that kind of like expansive Mm -hmm. or universal, Mm -hmm. I guess? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could look at it in a couple different ways. I do think that words have healing power. And I like to think that my novels have inspired readers. Um, And so maybe in the same way that a doctor can heal somebody's cancer, for example, you know, I like to think that, yeah, maybe I'm healing people from hurt or trauma or bitterness or boredom or disenfranchisement with the world. Um, So there's, there's for sure some of that. And then even when I was in biology, I loved the artisticness of it. Like Mm -hmm. I liked the type of lab work that wasn't just, I'm going to I'm going to put these two things together and I know what I'm going to get. I really liked the let's explore. Um, I think that there is a huge element to art in the medical sciences and even in the research sciences, Um, the data, because, you know, like I worked as a lab tech, I was a, a chemistry TA in college, like all of the research stuff I did has actually really helped me with the marketing (laughs) and the ammo and all of that, you know, it's that same sort of of, like the analytical mind. mm -hmm. And except I I think where I was mistaken is I thought that if you were going to have an analytical mind that you weren't going to be creative, I thought it was kind of an either or. And Mm. so what I was very happy to discover is that there is a sense of creativity that comes in doing the research and, okay, if I make this graphic or that graphic for my Facebook Mm. ads, what are readers going to say? Like to me, it's, it's very similar to if I, um, I don't know if I write a fantasy or sci-fi or, (laughs) you know, if I, um, if I mix this chemical or that chemical, there's a, there's a huge sense of curiosity that I think yeah. comes into the writing, the marketing, and probably what also made me decent at science. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I noticed early on, uh, Naomi may or may not be listening, but um, I would get on the group with Ammo and Naomi would be so utterly practical that sometimes I was like, she's mean. Oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh-huh. And and when you talk about that, that's what I think about is that sometimes practicality feels that way a little bit is mm-hmm. it's very cut and dry. You you think right. um, this thing needs to change and I know it needs to change. Mm-hmm. And practically you have to just do it. You have to get your mm-hmm. emotion out of the way and mm-hmm. you have to get your logic and the data and the statistics behind you and do that thing. That's kind of what I hear you saying is that you were prepped for that a little bit, you were prepared to blend your emotions with what the program kind of told you. Is that, am am I off base there? Yeah, I think so. And I think also in my mind, there's maybe less of a dichotomy. Like for example, let's say I was to have gone through and become a doctor. I think I probably would have been the kind of doctor who's like, well, let's look at the lab results. And I also would have done some feeling things out. Right. So like, if I've got a gut feeling about this, let's pursue it. I'm not going to go just on gut feeling. Mm. I'm not going to go just on 
analytics. It's kind of like, let's merge all the information that we have access to and, you know, take take some of everything. So I think that's kind of what I do even with ammo and Facebook ads. It's, yeah, yeah you know, you, I never turn my emotions totally off because yeah. I feel like I, I do have a little bit of intuitive curiosity that can help me try some things out that sometimes work. Yeah. That, so that's interesting to me because let's talk about a little, I, I don't know if you've had this experience before. I know I have on at least two occasions. And mm-hmm. right now I'm running an ad that is wildly successful that should not be as successful as it is. <laughs> um, but like, what are those moments where you look at the, the data and say, this ad should be working and it's not? Um, and how how do you... For, for anybody listening that's not in ammo right now, by the way, it just just think of this in terms of you want to run ads anywhere. Right, and right. it's it's like even even Facebook itself is telling you above average, above average, above mm-hmm. average, and there's no sales. Like, right. How is that happening? Where's the disconnect? <laughs> and it's the emotion blended with the logic that starts to tell mm-hmm, you something, mm-hmm. right? Talk to me about that yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So one thing I try to do, uh, the one area that I do remain pretty detached about is the outcome. So I might be in love with a graphic I make, or I might think I've come up with the cutest headline for an ad. (laughs) And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. And so, but then there's, there's also that sense of uh, here's something that worked for weeks and it all of a sudden stopped. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, or again, we're kind of getting in the realm of, of medicine, right? Like, you have yes. a list of symptoms, but it could mean this, it could mean that, or it could just mean mm-hmm. that you didn't sleep well last night, right? And yeah. so looking at all the data, you know, and and sometimes trying to see, okay, so like in your case, here's an ad that's getting me great clicks, like huge click-through rates, huge engagement, and nobody's buying, right? Yeah. What, where, where do you need to look at? So we, I actually had this happen just last week, like all my numbers dropped pretty significantly, And I had to figure out like, okay, is this most authors when they see, okay, I used to spend a hundred dollars on this campaign and get 150 back. Now I'm spending a hundred dollars on this campaign. I'm getting $70 back. Most Mm, authors stop at, and therefore Facebook ads don't work. Right. And and they, they don't. So I looked at all of my Facebook numbers. I looked at all the numbers on the webpage I was sending people to. And then I looked at all the numbers on Shopify. Cause I, I didn't have enough data to know if it was Facebook's fault or if it was something else. And, and in my case, it turned down, Facebook was doing what it always had been. Facebook was still sending the same number of people to my page, yep. but that page just stopped converting. The page yeah. stopped getting clicked. So you, you have to do a little bit of digging deeper. Um, I teach Amazon ads to authors. And uh, another mistake is I'll be like, yeah, well, I, I lost 20 bucks on ads. So Amazon ads don't work. And now time for a little ad break. Have you ever heard of the Luke and time mysteries? If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you have the host is also the author. The Luke and time mysteries are for anybody who likes a little R rated action with a bit of magic, as well as characters who do incredibly unlikely things such as drink two gallons of bourbon in a single sitting. It's local. It's place driven. It's voicey. It's hard-boiled. And where does all of Lyle's food come from? Find out these details and more when you buy the Luke and Time Mysteries. Click the link in the show notes, and we have every format available. Don't miss your chance to get a 60% discount just for being a podcast listener. Now back to the show. 
Amazon ads have one job and their job is to get somebody to your sales page. So if you spent $20, that means that people were getting to your sales page. So it's probably your sales page that wasn't working. (laughs) So you you do have to do a little bit of where in the process did this start to break down? And yeah, there is a little bit of um, both science and art figuring that out. It's worth it's worth stopping here because I'm thinking about I had um, Dave Chesson as a guest on the podcast, uh, and I will be blatantly honest. I actually didn't air the episode. It wasn't worth my listeners time. Mm-hmm. I like Kindlepreneur. Um, when I talked to him, it didn't feel like it translated into something valuable, but I mm-hmm. still I run ads on Kindle. I've been running mm-hmm. ads on Kindle for a little while. I think that there's something really valuable there. I think there's some cool stuff there. Um, the way that that works is that you pick your categories, your keywords, all those kind of things. And then they literally land on your book. They don't get mm-hmm. to hear from you other than your cover and yeah. the content that you create, uh, the A plus content that you create for Kindle. So you say you teach that. Talk to me a little bit about the the things that are different, because in my opinion, and I may still be not perfectly educated, uh, there's a massive difference between what works on Amazon and what works uh, in ammo. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's see. Big differences is Amazon ads. Uh, I I tend to see really good conversion rates because people are on Kindle browsing for books. Whereas yeah. when they're on Facebook, nobody logs on to Facebook to saying, I want to find a new series. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, that's one thing I find that both platforms have very robust algorithms, but they they mm-hmm. do different things. Like they both have tons of data. Amazon's data is really interesting though, because Facebook knows who clicks on what. They yeah. they know that, you know, they could probably predict if they were to show show me specifically a hundred ads on on a Wednesday, they could probably like perfectly predict which seven I'm gonna click on. Yeah. Amazon knows the reading behavior, which, um, you know, so they've got that in their favor. So I think those are some of the uh, some of the big differences, similarities. I think Amazon ads require a lot less tweaking. So I love yeah. doing both. I think they complement each other really well. Like yeah. once I started Ammo, my Amazon ads really um, started performing even better because I was getting more traffic to my pages and that kind yeah. of, I think, kickstart, kickstarted the algorithm. Um, I think Ammo is a lot more in-depth because there are so many more moving parts. There's the Facebook ad, which has an image, a headline, a text, a description, the a, an audience target option. Um, then there's your landing page, which is an infinite number of possibilities. And then there's the checkout page. Now with Amazon, it's basically just you make the ad they go to your page. So there's less tweaking, which I find kind of nice. Um, Amazon ads are a lot harder to scale though. Cause like once you find something that works yeah. with the ammo, you can, like if I were to double my Facebook ads budget today, Facebook's going to double my budget. If I were to go yeah. in like right now, I'm spending maybe about $6,000 a month on Amazon ads and getting over 20,000 in book sales from that. Like, wow. I love that. If I could triple that, Yes, I would. But if I were to just go in today and tell Amazon to spend three times my budget, they they wouldn't do that. So Amazon takes yes, over right. to scale up. That's right. Um, that's and a they're great not. Point. Yeah, they're not guaranteed to spend your budget. Um, 
a big difference in how they charge you is Amazon charges you when someone clicks. And so all the impressions you get is free visibility, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, you know, you can have a lot about that. Yeah. You can have a hundred thousand people see your book cover, two of them click. So you spend maybe a dollar (laughs) to get a hundred thousand eyes on your book cover. Uh, Whereas with Facebook, you're, you know, they'll charge you anytime someone even like sneezes in your direction. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's pause real quickly because there are people who are listening to this podcast who are not doing uh, either Amazon or Facebook ads, but they're listening as curious people and they're wondering, um, Okay, what do I need to know about Amazon versus Facebook? And so the first question that comes to my mind is with Amazon, do I have to be exclusive to Amazon in order to advertise with them? Or can I advertise the same books on Amazon that I can advertise on uh, the Ammo program? Yeah, great question. So you do not have to be exclusive to advertise with Amazon ads. Um, and so that's that's a huge benefit. And what I've seen is they work really synergistically together, running the Amazon ads and the Facebook ads, because when people see my Facebook ads, the button sends them to my Shopify store, like to a checkout yeah. page. But a lot of them are going and searching for the books on Amazon, which is their preferred way to read. And then I have it set up. So when somebody searches my name on Amazon, they see my ads. And so they're all kind of working together there in, in a pretty cool way. I've, uh, you know, so no, you don't have to be exclusive and even the opposite, they really do kind of support each other in a, in a very nice way. And when you're advertising a book on Ammo, uh, there is a group of people who will say that you actually see a bump in sales on Amazon. And so I had a, a conversation with a gentleman who is kind of one of like the founders of of the, the Ammo program. And mm-hmm. he doesn't advertise at all on Amazon, but he said he just saw a massive bump in his Amazon purchases. I'm the antithesis of that because I'm not, well, okay, listen, I haven't scaled up as much as you have. I'm Uh not quite in the same spot that you are. Uh, I'm starting to see some really major success with ammo on a particular ad, but it's taking me longer. And I think anybody listening to this podcast knows I'm a bit stubborn. And so I (laughs) never loved the look of Steve's page. And so I always tried to like do this specific thing. Uh The problem was, is that my stubbornness actually led to a lot of snags in the road. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, am not, I'm not scaled yet to the point where I'm seeing enough traffic that I think that people are really moving to Amazon. Um, you have experienced, do you think that you've, you use the word synergistic? Do you think you've experienced, uh, kind of that crossover effect where some people are seeing Facebook and they're buying on Amazon? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I'm seeing it in the other retailers too. Like I have, quadrupled my audible sales. So in a way I'm kind of kicking myself because my, my biggest ammo funnel is for a nine book series. The first and second audiobooks in that series are royalty shares. So they have to remain exclusive to Amazon. Um, I would love to have the rights to sell the audiobook directly, but I don't. How long does that take by the way? Sorry. To get your rights or to make. Yeah. Cause it's, it's only a couple of years, right? You have to sign up for just a couple of years or is it forever? I believe, I haven't looked at the terms in a bit, but I believe that if you pay your narrator, it only has to be exclusive for a year if you select exclusive. However, if you do the royalty share, you're locked into seven years. 
Um, so to be fair, well, I'm past the seven years for those first two books. I could go and hire them. someone else to re-record them, but they they get a lot. Oh. Like they've got tons of reviews on Audible already. I don't want to, yeah. you know, don't want to change that. Don't want to change yeah, that narrators. Sense. That's good um, news, though. Okay, but you know, since I started really ramping up AMA, which was around July of this year, um, I've seen my Audible sales quadruple. That's amazing. Um, so it's, yeah, like Amazon sales are picking up and sales and all the other retailers. Because I think what people are doing, they're seeing the books, they're saying, oh, this looks great. And then they're going to wherever they prefer yeah. to buy books and they're looking yeah. for it there. So we've got a couple other people in the program right now. Um, Jonathan and Jennifer Yanez were uh, mm-hmm. previous guests and they still have some uh, Amazon Kindle exclusive stuff that they have on KU. So if you have a KU subscription, you can read those for free there. Uh, what's the value in doing that for you? Do you follow that or do you feel like you want to go wide everywhere and just really hammer that through all channels at the same time? Yeah, I've been wide now for quite a while, even before ammo. And I like it just because I, I didn't want all my eggs in the Amazon basket. Plus like I write yeah. Christian suspense. It never was the most KU dominant. Like I never got more than maybe 10, 15% of my income from KU anyway. So it wasn't yeah. too big of a deal for me to to pull out and go wide. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty committed to staying wide. All my audiobooks going forward are going to be non-exclusive. But like I said, that's the yeah. one area where, yeah, I'll probably keep them with ACX for now just to keep sure. the... Uh, you know, I think it would be kind of disruptive yeah. to try to change things at the moment. But no, I yeah. I like being wide. I like having the books in libraries. That's really important for me that people oh. who want to check them out digitally in libraries and things like that can do that. Um, so, yep. I had Joanna Penn on this episode a while or on this podcast a little while ago, and um, she was upset with me because of my interpretation of a couple of things. One mm-hmm. of them was that libraries did not disrupt my contract with with Amazon. Am I wrong in, in your understanding of it? My understanding is that if you are in Kindle Unlimited, your ebooks cannot be in library catalogs. Perfect. Thank you. Um, I think that libraries are one of the coolest places in the world. I yes. do uh, a Wednesday mm-hmm. series for Ammo, and I do a Monday series that for the past four months has totally been devoted to libraries because I think they're that important. Yeah. I I think libraries, yeah. Libraries are just beyond anybody's understanding the uh, revenue that you can make from a relationship with libraries is more than people realize. Plus the reach you can get through libraries is more than anybody can realize. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have friends here in the Omaha area who won't do library readings anymore because they're like, I don't sell any books. And I say, mm-hmm. you don't sell any books because you don't understand how libraries work. <laughs> uh-huh. You'll you'll sell books through checkouts from Hoopla. You will mm-hmm. sell books through checkouts from Libby and checkouts yeah. from the physical catalog because people mm-hmm. in the library world want to taste before they dive. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your experience there? I know that we can't quantify this. And so it's almost like antithetical to the ammo program. Right. But what, <laughs> have you, what have you seen from the point that you joined into the library stream into now? You know, I have not made focusing on library sales a priority to me. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more about I want my books to be accessible to anybody who who yeah. wants them. And 
I want to keep libraries very relevant, right? Yes, so a lot of people are like, why why do why are libraries so important? I'm like, well, because even if people aren't going in to check out paperback or print books, which people still are, yeah. they're so important for the internet, for the information, um, for the apps. So for me, the library, my my strong desire to be in libraries had more to do with if somebody can't afford my books, I still want them to be able to find it somewhere. Plus, yep. I want to make sure that libraries have quality content to keep on sharing so that they continue to be relevant for the entirety of human existence. <laughs> so yeah. um, I don't... I don't promote to libraries. I am working on getting more large prints and uh, I'm hoping to maybe in the next, like it's kind of a mid burner project. I want to get more hardback versions up because I think that that will be a more library friendly type of format as well. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's more about giving libraries access to the book so that readers have access to the book. And less about yeah. like I would do it if all I did was break even is I guess what I'm trying sure. to say. Like I just sure. I, I really love I libraries. I, I agree with you. And I think it's one of those things where it's a win-win because even if yeah. you come into it with the heart of just I want to break even or even I'm I'm willing to lose a small amount of money mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this resource matters to me. Yeah. I think um well it's 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 similar to there are people in my life that I buy their books because I just believe in them. You know, I believe Mm -hmm. in that person. I'm going to buy everything that they write because I believe in them and I want them to succeed uh, before they are proven. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that's how libraries are a little bit. I'm willing to lose money because I think there's an abundance of money and there's an abundance of readers out there. Nobody Mm -hmm. is ever going to run out of readers that everybody's aging into our series today and tomorrow and Mm -hmm. the next day. You -hmm. talked about the genre that you write. I'm curious a little bit. It seems to me that, uh, as we're talking about an abundance of readers, that your genre is very niche. What kind of limiting thoughts did you have about that genre when you went into it? Or was it always just obvious to you that you could do fine? That's really interesting. Yeah. So I write Christian suspense. Um, I mean, Christian fiction, I don't consider super small. Like it's got a, a decent chunk of the pie. Christian suspense is a smaller chunk of that sub chunk. And then what I write, it's kind of gritty Christian fiction. So it's like, it's PG-13. Yeah. It's not like a little a Hallmark mystery, you know, it's it doesn't yeah. feel cozy. Um, and so that does limit the readership. I don't know that I really struggled. I think I went into it just with so much passion to write that I wasn't thinking about, oh, I want to sell a hundred copies. I want to sell a thousand copies. I want to sell a million copies. To me, yeah. it was... I want to write a book. <laughs> and everything that yeah. happened after that was just kind of, um, you know, happy blessings. And so hmm. um, for people who do write in small genres, one thing I love about Facebook is you can do some fun targeting options to kind of never run out of a potential audience, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like I, I just started a new audience. I've got some like pretty fall aesthetic type um graphics with Facebook ads, you know, and like pretty girl, fall colors, leaves. She's got her scarf. She's got her coffee cup. She's got a quote from the book. Um, I created an audience of, okay. So people who like eBooks, obviously 
I have a subset of, you know, because uh, Facebook has changed. So I can't go in and say, find me people who read the Bible, right? I used to be yes, able to right. do that. I can't. Yep. Um, yep. But I found some workarounds. So I'll be like, um, I've got a list of kind of like Christian celebrities or like Christian adjacent kinds of things. I'm like, okay, so yeah. they have to like those. They have to read thrillers. Um, so I get, you know, kind of the standards. Um None of the names are popping into my head at the moment, but you know, like there's probably a yeah. good dozen or so mystery authors that you can target. And then I did like, and they have to like Starbucks and pumpkin pie spice, like, you know, just kind of oh, all nice. that. Like, so soft. it's a very like seasonal kind of an <laughs> yes. ad. It maybe, yeah. and it's, maybe won't win like uh, in summer. Exactly. But it's, it's working really well right now. So I love kind of refreshing different audience options. Um, Back when I could target Christian readers, I mm -hmm. just had like two or three audiences that I just cycled through and like it worked, sure. but this is actually a little more fun because I can, I have to go around it kind of backwards and be like, well, hmm, yeah. is um, if I target, oh, I don't know, like um, target the store, like, am I going to be more likely to find my readers or not? Turns out, yeah, target's not a bad option for me. So I nice. have fun with okay. it. And so if people are in like a really, really small niche, like the person who writes like yeah. cyberpunk time travel Amish romance or something, like <laughs> I think Facebook is really fun because you can take each section of that find me people who like yes. these cyberpunk things or cyberpunk adjacent things find me people yep. who like these amish or amish adjacent things so yeah. i think of it kind of as just a fun little um like it's almost like a whodunit right like so if yes. i need to find a reader who likes this book what yeah. like what hobbies what music what movies would they also be interested in one of the things I've never said on this podcast before that you made really abundantly clear to me is that the things that I actually like are not necessarily the things that came me my readers. So if you mm. looked at my Facebook feed, I click on a lot of stuff about fitness and mm -hmm. sports mm -hmm. uh, and humor and music. Uh -huh. Humor fits my books, but fitness, sports, uh, and music don't really fit yeah. my audience. So if I think that I am the perfect avatar for my books and I try to just go in and create an audience based on me, I actually am going to mm -hmm. fail because I'm not yeah. necessarily writing to myself. I'm writing mm -hmm. something I love, but I actually consume very little of what I love. And that even includes right. the things I read. I read yeah. a lot of stuff outside of my genre. I read 90% uh, of what I read, watch, listen to, and consume is outside of my genre. Mm, and so mm -hmm. if I want to find the people who want to read my books, I need to clear myself out yes. of the question mm -hmm. in order to find the people who like me. Exactly. Um, I can hear already that you agree with that, but talk to me. Is there ever a moment for you where you were confused about your audience or why your ads weren't working or why your books weren't selling the way you wanted them to? And and what, like, how did you fix that problem? Um, You know, a lot of my up and down with Facebook, I think has more to do with just Facebook, right? Like when they roll out a change yeah. or something and we all like, yeah. my Facebook ads. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. I have enough books I try to, um, so I've got one funnel that's really, really narrowed down. I'm working really hard to get a couple backup funnels going so that when that one needs a break, I will be ready with some other things. But in terms of not being your ideal reader, that actually really got driven home for me when I was working on my newsletter, because I subscribed to zero 
Oh, I subscribe to one fiction author's newsletter and that's because yeah. she's a friend of mine and she writes really funny things. And I, I love seeing like her humor. I don't read her books, but I love her. And so it's like, yeah. The one so time even though you subscribe, you don't buy her books. Yeah. 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 So realizing, uh, I think it was the book newsletter ninja and I was reading it and, and she really drives home. You are not your ideal subscriber and your ideal subscriber is not your ideal reader because even though I subscribe to zero authors newsletter to buy their books, I am the ideal reader for some authors in that I tell my friends about their books. I yep. buy their books when they come out, mm. but I don't follow their newsletter. And so that helped me get over because I was like, I wouldn't want to hear from somebody like twice a week about books that yeah. haven't come out yet. Yeah. But my ideal subscriber does, right? Yes. So, so that yeah. was that was a pretty big one, and I actually think it, it's important for authors to to do what you do and to consume outside of their genre. Otherwise, I think we can get too insulated yeah. and just start regurgitating everybody else's stuff. Yep. Oh, that I mean, everything that you said speaks to me so so much. My friend Jeff called me the other day. When I say the other day, it could have been a month ago. Time is so weird for me. <laughs> uh, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, he uh, he said, stop everything you're doing and read this book called Mount Chicago by Adam Levin. And mm -hmm. I just trust him enough that when right. he tells me that, whatever it is, I stop and I go and I find it and I bought it and mm -hmm. I, I read it and I was blown away. I thought it was amazing. He said... Uh, if any book is going to be the next great American novel, this book's going to be it. And I'm oh, reading wow. it. And like, I got halfway in and I knew for sure he was wrong, but I also <laughs> loved it. I was like, right, he is, right. he's very, very stuck in his own belief about what is good that he can't mm -hmm. actually see mm -hmm. outside of yeah. what he believes is good. So both mm -hmm. things were true is like, it's amazing to have humans out there who read a book and they're so excited. They tell their friends. That's, mm -hmm. I think that's when everything that ammo is doing for us goes into super drive is when sales start coming from other places more often mm -hmm. than we actually give it credit for. It happens because the people that we target on Facebook get so flipping excited about what mm -hmm. they read that they say, Hey, Pam, Hey, Fred, Hey, John, Hey, Jane, right. uh -huh. this book is amazing stop everything you're doing and mm -hmm. read it right now yeah. that's a cool experience so what i want to do right now is transition to the writing process just a little bit for anybody who's listening to this podcast and they're thinking wow ammo sounds really cool there's some pitfalls because if you're not devoted to writing great books no matter how good your ads are you might have trouble selling books. Talk to me a little bit about you and your writing process and how you knew that you were ready to go public in a very big way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I think I was a little bit backwards, like we talked about before, in that yeah. I just wanted a book out. Like I so that's yeah. how it started. And then my first book got a lot of good recognition, got a lot of good word of mouth, won some awards. And so that's when I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this is gonna work. What happened after that was harder. So um, like my second book was probably one of the hardest to write because I had built up book number one is so big in my mind. Like, and now everybody's mm. expecting stuff from me. It's gotten um, bigger. 
Yeah. And I was still on the review roller coaster. So one good Amazon review would make my day. One even like not even bad review, but it was like, yeah, this was okay. It just probably wasn't really for me. Like I would be depressed for a week. Um, What actually really helped me get over that is kind of what you were talking about in terms of readers sharing with each other. And, And it was just realizing when somebody's writing a review on my book, they're not writing it to me. They're not saying, dear Lana, I thought your book was bad and therefore you're a terrible person, which is how it felt (laughs) when I was like that thin skinned. I realized, no, like you can read my book and decide it's not for you. I think what really drove it home, I've got a series set in North Korea and one of the ho-hum reviews said basically like there were too many foreign names to keep track of and I got confused. Mm, Okay. In the past, good luck reading Dostoevsky, by the way. Good, yeah, right? Anyways, okay. <laughs> in the past, I would have taken that to mean, Alana, you're a horrible human being, and I hope that you know your family suffers because you wrote a book that confused me. Yeah. Then, but eventually, I got to where I'm like, okay, if she does not, if this reader does not like foreign names and finds them confusing, then a book set in a very foreign country is obviously like this yeah. person is obviously not my ideal reader. And, and then seeing, um, you know, like I, I would get conflicting feedback from beta readers, which is why I eventually just stopped using them. Some would be like, oh, this scene Mm. needs a lot more drama to, oh, this scene was way too fast paced. And it was like, it was completely contradictory. And so I just realized like, once I write the book, you have the right to love it, to not love it, to be totally neutral about it. And that doesn't need to reflect on me at all. Wow, we have to stop right there because you just said something. You might even realize how big what you just said was. You stopped using beta readers. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, because I was a huge people pleaser. And I thought that in order to be like, it seriously got this big in my head. I felt like in order to be a decent human being who had like the uh, who deserved to continue to exist, that I needed to take every single suggestion every single beta reader made wow. and implement it into my manuscript. But then wow. even with only like maybe four or five beta readers, there would be contradictory stuff and it was literally wow. impossible. Oh and gosh. so I, and that tension of, oh no, somebody's, and and to be fair, like if I beta read your book, the chance of me picking it up once it's published, like, I hate to say it, it's pretty low. Right? Yeah, like, absolutely. I already I read, read it. it. Yeah, I read it. I'm probably not going to read <laughs> it again. Read it but, again. <laughs> but in my head, I was like, if I don't change this, they're going to know that I didn't take their, and they're going to have their hurt feelings and they're going to think yeah. I'm a terrible person. Like it, yeah. it was very ridiculous. I'm so excited to hear what you're saying right now. For for one, um, there's an abundance of readers. So if you have beta readers and they don't buy your book, that's totally fine. You have so many more readers out <laughs> right. there. Don't worry about it. Like so many more readers. But what I want to say to that is that it took me a little while to understand that I was actually okay. I took maybe longer than you did to understand that um, I have a few people that I send it by and I don't even call them beta readers. I just okay. call them my friends. So yeah. I send, and, and th- there's a reason for this. So it's, I send my book to Heather O'Brien. I send my book to Shane Simonson and I send my book to my wife and I get their feedback and I take mm-hmm. a small percentage of yeah. each of their feedbacks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like very recently, I have a book coming out eventually called killing George Clooney. And um, it's, he had an idea about that book that was off the charts better than what I had done. Oh, and uh-huh. it like I recognized immediately when he said it, I was like, oh, that's 
far superior <laughs> to how uh-huh. I ended that book. So I'm really excited to uh, like revise the book toward his idea. But sometimes mm-hmm. you get people who are uh, like, like, oh, I, I was a little bit, um, I, I didn't understand that movement. I didn't understand what your character was doing there. I didn't feel like the character was fully realized. I thought the plot kind of slowed down here. And sometimes you just know, you're like, I actually meant to slow the plot down. Right. I yep. meant mm-hmm. to take this story and mm-hmm. give you an opportunity to breathe before yeah. you go into this next really big moment, which you write thrillers. Right. So I know that mm-hmm. you appreciate the idea Absolutely. of giving people a chance to breathe. Like not mm-hmm. every book can be the movie taken with Liam Neeson. Right. You know, sometimes you need <laughs> that a would be exhausting. Just... It would. Yeah. It'd be emotionally exhausting to read. Yes. So, um, all right. So with that in mind, Christian thriller, gritty Christian thriller, is there cursing in your books? Is there um, like immoral behavior from good people? How do you slice it? What do you decide with your your main character? Where are your boundaries? Yeah. So I know there are a couple things that my readers just are not going to be okay with. They're never going to be okay with like open door bedroom scenes. They're never going to be okay with, you know, like certain words. And so I just... I, I don't do any of that. Um, beyond that, so basically with Christian fiction, I think of it as two different genres with two different uh, motivations. So for some people, Christian fiction is I want to give readers a clean morality tale, right? And so it's almost like, yeah. it's almost an allegory. Like this is taken to an extreme, but like Sally's going to go through this hard thing so that I can preach to readers about how people should behave during hard times. Like it's, it, yeah. that's simplified. Um, for sure. me, I think of it more as life is messy and there are a lot of uh, questions, a lot of dilemmas, a lot of issues that a lot of Christians don't, haven't really, uh, thought. Mm, so, so I, sure. I like to poke the bear a small amount or maybe a medium amount yeah. to be like, Hey, have you yeah. guys thought about this? And um, so I like to present, for example, I will take uh, topics that a lot of Christians would find controversial and I'll have characters who some fall on this side of the spectrum, some fall on that side of the spectrum. And, and I don't try to make the books preachy. I don't try to like bash you on the head and say, Oh, and by the way, this is what Alana Terry says is the truth. Um, yeah. It's more about, can you picture having a conversation with somebody who shares your belief, but doesn't vote for the same person you do? Or is that so outside oh, of your head? Yeah. You know what I mean? That like, you can't even picture that. So um, the the one thing my books do have that um, leads them into the gritty, you know, they can, they can get kind of violent. They can get pretty intense. Um, yep. My North Korea series, for example, book one is about a, a woman imprisoned because her dad's a Christian. So, you know, like she, mm. she goes through everything you would expect somebody in, you know, a terrible yeah. place to go through. I've got one about um, a teen runaway who's trafficked and it's her mom who's trying to, you know, save her out of this. So thematically they are mm. pretty gritty. Yeah. I enjoy that a lot. I, um, the, well, so first off, everybody who listens to this podcast already knows that I grew up in the Christian tradition and that I still kind of flit and flirt with Christianity in mm-hmm. ways. I have a hard time saying I'm a Christian because I don't know where to place myself right now. Um, but I was thinking kind of recently about, uh, I have tattoos on my arms about, uh, I am the vine and mm-hmm. you are the branches. You know, mm-hmm. and thinking about like that experience of um, being all connected together, mm-hmm. humans, whether whether we identify with the same religion or not, we're all branches. We're all part mm-hmm. of this divine experience. 
um, I know exactly where I'm going in my head. I wish I could quickly <laughs> get there in this yeah. conversation. But there is something about the universal experience, whether you present it as gritty as I do, which I'm rated R, you're PG-13. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Some people, uh, the other guy that I had on the podcast, anybody who's listening knows who I'm talking about. I'm just trying to keep it kind of like more general, but he's rated G, you know, yeah, he's not going yeah. to go. Or Naomi, I think it's probably pretty G. But Naomi's very G. Yes, mm-hmm. Naomi's very mm-hmm. G. Um, and, and, but, uh, you know, when you think about this level of how we're going to present the world, we're all trying to share with our readers an experience experience of the world that is the truest version that we understand. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. part of that is representing the lows in a really deep way, Um, Mm -hmm. but not in a way that hurts. I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. How often do you think about how far you want to take your reader and how often do you take something out of a book because you thought I maybe went too far there for what I'm trying to do? Or do you just trust your intuition and go where you're going? Yeah. In general, I would say about 80% of the time, I trust my intuition. I've got the benefit of having written enough books that there's very little that I would publish. Like if somebody doesn't like, if I'm, if I'm too edgy of a Christian writer for some Christian readers, which I am, they've already found that out by now. Right. Does that make sense? So I feel a little bit of freedom because Mm. I, I know that there were some Christian readers who I take things too far and they already know that about me. So they're not going to pick up this book or they're going to pick up one book and find it's not for them. Um, The times I do consider it. So for example, I'm writing a book right now that is going to be for an anthology. It's in the back of my head more than I want it to be. I would love to have the freedom to just, this is, this is a story of my heart. We're taking it where it's going to go. That's how I do it for my solo novels. I'm a little more cognizant in this one because it's, it's a tad more mainstream, right? It's like, it's a Christian romantic suspense. It's a little bit more tropey. So I'm reining myself in a tiny bit, but I know I can only give myself a little bit of self-censorship before I kind of shut down anyway. So in the end, the story's got to go where it's got to go one time. Yeah. One time I left, like two of my characters were having a huge fight. Like I was being a total jerk. The character says to him, stop being such a jerk. And I knew that jerk was not the right word to use. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So in my first draft, I wrote the word that actually came to mind, but I knew that I was going to, I I just had to get it out. And I knew I was going to clean it up by the time. Okay, nice. So you wrote the word and then you came back. I wrote the word, (laughs) but I did not publish it. So sometimes I'll do things like that. Sometimes I might go back and like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to tidy this up 5%. No, ah, yes. Okay. Five. Even five. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Yeah. I am, um, I, I am, like I said, rated R. So everything mm-hmm. you can imagine. And this podcast kind of varies back and forth between uh, rated G and rated R. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I tell people that when you come in and listen, it's listed on every podcast app as rated R. I want people mm-hmm. to know it's explicit. Some episodes will come out depending on who I'm talking to and what they want to say. I'll just go with them. I'll kind of mirror right, what right. Uh, my guest wants to do for their own mm-hmm. brand. Because mm-hmm. I think that that's so important. What I think is interesting is if, and this applies to genre too, is that if we want to kind of travel where the world takes us, I think it's challenging sometimes to carry other people because for example, you write gritty, gritty uh, thrillers that are Mm -hmm. Christian in 
what if, for example, you wanted to write like the screw tape letters, but as a gritty version of the screw tape letters, that probably would be slightly further than your audience is used to going. Do you feel a responsibility to stay online or what would you do if you chose yeah. to write something? Yeah. That was In outside general, of your bounds. I do like to see my calling is making my readers at least partially uncomfortable um, not because I mean and want them to suffer, but <laughs> yeah. I I like to present things that make you think, that stay with you. Um, I'm not yeah. writing for escapism, and I'm not writing to preach a sermon. I'm writing for somebody who doesn't mind being challenged by reading hard things. So yeah. one thing I did do, I wrote a spinoff spy thriller series. I don't think it's available anywhere anymore. I published oh, it wow. under AJ Terry just because okay. I knew like it was yep. PG 13 plus. Um, yeah. What happened there? It it turned into a little bit of a branding mess because okay. the people who bought it were my Christian fiction readers. So that kind of yeah. messed up the algorithm and stuff. Um, okay. What I have is I have a, a cleaned up version where I took it from PG 13 plus to just PG 13. But um, yeah. I haven't republished it because it's, it was going to be a six book series and I only got to book four. So okay. it's just kind of, kind of sitting here. So I tried it once because I thought that that would be a little more freeing. And I guess writing it was right. Writing it, yeah. knowing that I could be AJ Terry, not a Terry, but then from the marketing, yeah. it just, it got a little too messy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to hear you say that. And I'm excited to like think about that even after this conversation. Uh, I've never even thought about a pseudonym so far. Um, mm -hmm. But again, you and I are in slightly different places. I haven't quite reached a level of confidence in just my mainline stuff to mm -hmm. branch out. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a memoir out that's very different than the mysteries that I write. But it's, it's you know, you have Joanna Penn who writes nonfiction marketing kind of books. She writes fiction mm -hmm. um, and she writes some romance and she brands differently based on every single thing that she does. She's very mm -hmm. concerned about the algorithm. I think that you have other people. Recently, I had some musicians on my show, um, which was a bit off brand, but mm -hmm. they talked about kind of traveling in and out of different genres of music. And yeah. we, we landed on Radiohead and you have some people who are able to do this massive transformation mm -hmm, from, mm -hmm. you know, being Christian thrillers to gritty Christian thrillers to mm -hmm. romance writers and all those right, things. Right. I don't know. I'm, I'm not even asking a question here. I just am kind of reflecting on what you're saying and thinking about how amazing this journey is and how differently it can unfold for all of us. Yeah. Well, like if you look at, imagine you're going to see a painter's, um, like a retrospective uh, that spans decades. Like you don't really yeah. expect it to be, oh, here's a nice, cute little still life when he was 20 years old. And look, he's 80 and still painting like nice little cute still lives, <laughs> right? Like that's yes. kind of stagnant. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Over that amount of time, if you haven't grown, did you do something? Did you really experience the full scope of what this journey was about? Uh, I noticed you have plants behind you. What are the importance of plants in, in your, your experience? You have airplane plants and phylodendron, and I can't quite see the other ones, but let's uh, see, yeah. you, I've you got love, lots of you plants. Love greenery. I do. Um, let's see. I've, I've not actually cohesively thought through behind them. 
um, I like them and they make me happy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's probably about any it. Other, if you saw any other area of our house, you would know. Um, certainly my wife likes them, but I've got uh, a couple of cacti here um, uh-huh. and, and I really enjoy succulents. Um, so I, I think that creating a, a space or an environment that is uh, conducive to work is important. We're going to close out here with two last questions. I'll ask them both so you can answer them kind of at any length that you want. But one, how do you create the environment that is conducive to work? And two, where can readers find you, get your books and enjoy more of Alana Terry? Awesome. So yeah, I was actually just talking with a friend over lunch about the environment because I would love to be the kind of person who could take my laptop and write anywhere. I would love to be able to be waiting to pick up my kid and just pull it out in the car and type for five minutes or, you know, to be sitting in the airport and have 15 minutes before it was time to board and just be working away at my novel. Um, And that's just not me. And if I could change that about myself, I would have changed it by now. But the fact that it hasn't changed by now is a pretty good indication that this is just how I am. And so for me, it really took learning to speak up for what my creativity needs. Um, I can speak up for my children in a way that I can't usually speak up for myself. And so sometimes I will even think Mm. about my creativity, like a child that needs to be protected. Mm. And so for example, when we moved into this home, we've got three kids, three teen boys. Um, I would have loved to say, all right, guys, here's our new home, go pick your rooms, and I'll take the leftover to be my office. But I knew that if I like if the lighting's wrong, if the the feel is wrong, it's not going to be conducive. So I had to go the opposite. I had to walk through each room and I had to say, all right, this one's my office, you guys have fun figuring out where you're going to be. It felt bad for me because I think as, as moms, we're so used to always putting our families before everything. Uh, But I knew it's what my creativity needed. And so when I think about my creativity, like a plant, it needs this, it needs that. It's not being selfish because it doesn't like this window, but it does like that window. That's just the way it is. Right. Uh And so, um, yeah, I work hard at protecting my office space. So for example, um, if my husband and I are having some conflict, this would be a convenient place because we could shut the door and have some Hmm. privacy, but this is not where that would happen. Um, Or similarly, like if there's horrible uh, busy work that I just hate, like taxes or something like, if I just hate the thought of doing it, I'm not going to do it in my office because I want to keep my office um, feeling like a place where I love to go. I want it to feel like a sanctuary energy. And and that's probably the better answer for why the plants are here, right? To, to create that feel of a sanctuary and of a retreat so that I can be the most inspired. Yeah. Well, first off, just let us know anytime you need taxes done because my wife is an accountant. Perfect. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) How fortuitous. Um, (laughs) Right. Exactly. No, I mean, I, I, I resonate with that so much. There's so much that you just said that is beautiful. I hope that people actually heard you. You took your office first and you did it for the exact right reasons. It wasn't like, you know, I wasn't being selfish. No, exactly. Not selfish you were being selfless. You were mm-hmm. saying, if I don't have this office, I can't be the kind of mom I want to be. Yeah. Or the writer. There, and yeah. And, and, and the writer and the wife and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely, I, I do. I resonate with that so loudly right now. I'm, 
I've been thinking a lot about um, the kind of mindset that I have toward my life. And I had some friends out. In fact, I've talked about them in a couple of podcasts recently. My friend, John, who's a groomsman at my wedding and his um, new girlfriend, Jessica. And we were talking about some of my struggles with ammo and why I have been one of the rare ones who hasn't had the success that I should, mm. that I know mm-hmm. is destined for me. And Jessica mm-hmm. looked at me over this fire and she said, what do you believe is supposed to happen to you? And it was like this just realization, this deep mm-hmm. understanding that I believe that the only way I can have success is if I work harder than everybody. Yeah. Uh, if I put in more hours, if I sweat harder, if I bleed mm-hmm. more, if I get more yeah. beat up. And when I realized that, I thought the whole reason that Steve created this program is because he realized when you get your ads good, when your landing page is good, well, shoot, it's so easy. Mm-hmm. It feels like a mm-hmm. miracle. It feels it like does. a miracle. You just, yeah. you just, like look at it for five minutes in the morning and make sure that your, <laughs> your views were right. And then you go uh-huh. right to your books. Isn't right. that crazy? It's weird. Um, so, so thankful to have had this time with you. You're a, an amazing person. Uh, I haven't read your books, but I know that you're an amazing writer because your, oh, you. your heart and your spirit toward everything that you're doing is wonderful. You didn't tell us where to find you. I'll put your doorbuster link into this podcast uh, unless you're really concerned about statistics. Um, <laughs> I say, is that an ammo thing to do? No, it's yeah, not, people can not. find books. Um, you know, Alana Terry, if you're interested in Christian suspense, I also run the Success Writer Academy. Uh, we have ads, um, courses for Amazon ads and things like Perfect. that. So people can look me up there if they're not a reader of that genre, but still wants to uh, hear more about what I'm doing as a writer. Awesome. All righty. We'll get all that into the show notes for the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Go enjoy Alaska before it gets too cold to enjoy. I know it's going to be soon. We've got snow on the mountains already. So winter is basically here. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?